DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Bill Conley, National College Football Writer for ESPN. He joins us on the T-Mobile Special Guest Line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Bill, good morning. How are you doing? Good. We have been, uh, we have been thrashing about trying to answer the question, how good is BYU? You've probably heard that a time or two yourself. How good is BYU? A couple. uh, You know, I I mean, from what we've seen through three games, tremendous. I know there's the, you know, this is college football, so the ain't played nobody question is always out there. And, I mean, certainly, you know, using my SP Plus rankings, they haven't played a top 70 team yet. So, I mean, there is that disclaimer. But Troy's pretty good. Um, What we saw elsewhere, and they won by 41, They've, they've... Manhandled everybody basically, and and if you use something like my rankings or the spread as a bar, usually teams that exceed that overachieve against that bar this dramatically through three games usually keep it up. That's that's what I think too. You know, the the competition there is something that is, I don't know if it's a sticking point, but it's a factor. But I think when you look deeper, you see that BYU the last couple of years played a ton of players that are now in their third year with their coaches together. The offensive staff has been good, and there's been consistency in the program. Is that or how much of that are you factoring in when you say that they're pretty good? Well, I mean, I think, you know, at the beginning of the year, I think it was right after uh, week one when BYU stomped Navy, I looked at, you know, all offseason we were talking about, you know, in this weird, like the weirdest offseason ever, uh, not a lot of practices. If, you're, if you've got a new coach, that lack of continuity might hurt even more than normal. Um, so I looked at the opposite. I looked at the teams with heavy continuity, with a returning starting quarterback and a head coach at least in his, in his third year, coordinators at least in their second year. Um, and, you know, out of the gates, kind of seemed, well, I mean, number one, BYU was obviously on that list, but then, um, you know, even beyond that, it kind of seemed like a lot of the teams we were kind of curious about are playing well so far. Florida is on that list, for instance, and they're looking really good, especially offensively with their, uh, with their high-continuity offensive coordinator and, and second-year starting quarterback and everything. So, you know, it is still very early, and, and at any point – uh, this could flip around, obviously, but um, again, like the sustainability, it, it's not a fluke that they're beating these teams this badly. The sustainability appears to be there right now. So I've thought for a long time that the elite teams in the group of five are certainly comparable to the middle of the power five. Oh, yeah. And then on any given team and given year, they, they can be better than that. You know, they can, yeah. they can compete. We see it in New Year's Six Bowls. So I'm curious because we don't – we follow the group of five teams in the Mountain West, obviously, because they're here. And you can't help but see some stuff about the AAC. But when you start playing the Sun Belt and Conference USA, eh, nobody here is really following those leagues. Are, the, are these teams any good? Do they have many NFL players on them? Because Bill has beaten a couple of them, and they're about to play a couple more of them. It's like, are there any, you said there's nobody top 70. Is there anybody about to be top 70? Is Houston going to be that? They're AEC, but they're coming off a four-win season. Yeah, I mean, yeah. generally speaking, to your first point, um, I mean, the top 10 or 15 teams in the, in the group of five as a whole 
would easily be at least middle of the pack in, in a given power conference. They're in that number 20 to 50 kind of range with a lot of, like, with the old Miss types and the, um, you know, Michigan States and whatnot. So they'd be very competitive, obviously. Um, but, you know, BYU's schedule, well, I mean, it could be better. But, like, Western Kentucky I thought was going to be pretty good this year. They haven't really shown it yet. And currently in my rankings, they're 69. Houston is 60th, Boise State's 36th, um, San Diego State's 77th, and they could, teams like Western Kentucky or, or San Diego State or Houston could turn out to be better than where they're at right now. But, um, I mean, it's, <laughs> the other part of this is that if this becomes a conversation in the playoff, for instance, if, you know, the, the Georgias and Floridas and whatnot, then enough teams lose to where you could conceivably look at BYU as a candidate for the number four spot, even if, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State end up untouchable or whatever. I would hope that the schedule is not held that much far against them because it's not their fault they're playing these teams. They have like five P5 teams scheduled. So, you know, yes, the strength of schedule is just going to be bad. Like the best win they're going to probably have if they finish undefeated is Boise State, which would be a top 30 or 40 win, but it would only be one of them. But this isn't their fault. They, you know, they had a piece of schedule together in August and they're dominating it right now. So, Bill, a lot of BYU fans listen to us. We've been doing this show for almost 19 years now in this market, and I can tell you, you just caused many heart palpitations <laughs> when you mentioned BYU and playoff. Expound yeah. on that. Give them a full heart attack. Well, I mean, it's funny because, you know, back before the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced they were returning, we were looking at, you know, accidental inclusion, we'll call it. The college football playoff clearly isn't very good at even – batting an eye at the G5 uh, in general, but they were almost going to have to there for a bit. And, of course, then the Pac-12 and uh, Big Ten returned, and that made it muddier. But, I mean, look, if the Pac-12 doesn't produce an unbeaten team, I doubt they, depending on the field, I doubt they, they have a great, great chance of a 6-1 and one team getting in because we already know this debate that's happening with, you know, can you play that few games and really be considered? We know that's a thing. I think if they're unbeaten, they'll get a, a champion in. But otherwise, I think it's questionable. Big 12 has just about eliminated itself. Um, the Big 10 and SEC are probably in pretty good shape here. With you know, if Alabama is amazing, then you know Georgia, Florida, as long as they end up with one loss or maybe two, they're probably in good shape. Same with the Big 10, with like a Penn State or Wisconsin. But I mean, the field could clear itself up, and, and it will have to for BYU to be considered because of the schedule, whether that's fair or not. But if they continue to win games by forty points on average, uh, and all these other teams lose two or three games, which is conceivable against really hard SEC type schedules, then I mean, this is <laughs> let's put it this way: this is the best possible year for you to have a dominant team against a weak schedule because it might get you a little further up the ladder than normal. Bill Conley joining us. He's a national college football writer for ESPN. We've seen guys opting out, and I have two questions about opting out. One, is this going to become the new norm when a guy's a first-round draft pick? He's thinking, why should I risk a college football season when I know I'm going to get picked on the first day of the NFL draft? There's that, and then there's also how much are all these opt-outs going to hurt Oregon, and who's really the favorite in the Pac-12? Yeah, Oregon has certainly been hit pretty hard, and um and, and, you know, the secondary especially, they already have the quarterback situation, or a new quarterback, I should say. But in terms of the 
the units where continuity can help or hurt you the most. The defensive backfield is right up there with quarterback and the receiving core. So that is going to hurt them a little bit. We'll see if it matters. I mean, Washington, we don't quite know enough about yet. Uh, you know, Cal, I don't really trust uh, offensively, especially. Uh, so it might not hurt them. They might still be the favorite in the North, but you do figure if USC's defense can improve. And, and you know, we start going down the if road with USC. We we end up, you know, making bad predictions a lot of the time. But we know their offense is going to be awesome. And if the defense is merely good, then they're probably the Pac-12 favorite at that point. But to your point about opt-outs in general, I don't. Well, I mean, I think there are only a few key players per year that can head into the, head into the season knowing they're going to be first rounders. And a lot of those guys are going to, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are just going to love playing college football and, and being in college, and they want to enjoy it one last time. So they're going to keep playing. Maybe one or two guys uh, get, you know, start to think about this in a given year. I think what it does, though, is it normalizes the idea of opting out of the bowl game. We've already seen that increase in recent years, and I think that part will, will almost certainly continue to grow. So... To connect it to BYU, if the Big 12, as you say, is just about eliminated itself, Oklahoma State gets a loss and everybody will have a loss. And the Pac-12, in all nine years now, I realize they've been playing nine, not just seven, but nobody's gone undefeated. Mm. They all have at least one blemish. So if those two situations occur, how imperative is it for BYU, if it wants to gain any traction in the conversation to almost to have it be mandatory that they beat teams by 35, 40 points. Yeah. Yeah, it's, they're going to have to run up the scores. I don't think there's any question about that. That's not something you normally encourage. But if BYU gets really high up the list, it's going to be because they were continuing to look like they did against Navy, continuing to look like they did against Troy and most of the Louisiana Tech game. It's going to require that. And Boise State's kind of the one freebie there. Like, if they just beat, if they just win at Boise State and Boise State goes on to, you know, do as well in the Mountain West as we can probably assume they will, then that's fine. But, yeah, the other games uh, against the top 60, 70 teams, they're going to have to to absolutely roll. Maybe you get one mulligan in there. Maybe you only beat Houston by 10 or something like that. But it is, I mean, again, they're not going to include anybody outside of the P5 unless they absolutely have to, and and BYU's going to have to continue to put on an absolute show here moving forward. So the average score is roughly 49-8, to and they have taken their foot off the gas. I mean, there have been kneel downs and second-string player quarterback, but other positions to win. But you can take your foot off the gas once you won by 40, right? right? You don't need to do more than that. Right. Yeah, you can take those second stringers out, or you can take the first stringers out if you're if you're up by that much. But it does have to be like you have to make a point every single game. You have to prove a point, basically. So we could potentially have 1984 revisited with Brian <laughs> Gumble and Barry Switzer and Bo Diddley Tech. How fun would that be? <laughs> I, I mean, it makes sense that it would be BYU uh, in the in the strangest year of all time here. Uh, that it would be BYU revisiting history and, and making things strange again. So is ESPN going to get, you know, Brian Gumbel to, you know, the older Brian Gumbel to say Bo Diddley Tech into a camera so they can put it next to the younger Brian Gumbel? I mean, I can see a little, uh, one of those little pregame 30-second hype pieces to set the stage. I mean, give Gene Wojciechowski enough time. That seems right up his alley, if, uh, a fun piece about that. So I'll plant the seed. All right, plant the seed. When it happens, I want to take full credit for it. 
How much do you think of Larry Scott making the proposition to expand the playoffs is for job preservation as opposed to having a legitimate point? Well, I, I, I think it can be both. Let's put it that way. I do think, um, I mean, he, he's all, he should be all about job preservation right now, but it's also a point that a lot of people have been making recently that we're going to know even less about these teams now than we do in a given year, and we already deal with the smallest uh, you know, sample size of any major sport, uh, sport, pro or college. So it would make sense that in a given year where some of the teams being considered for the national title are going to end up playing seven games, that you expand the field a little bit just to make sure you get uh, everybody worthy into the pool, so to speak. But, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, if we, if we expand to eight this year and it goes well, and it would, then um, – I would absolutely be among the many, many people saying, let's do this all the time. I mean, I I know that they're worried about that slippery slope. And I think being that we all know we're going to get there eventually, it's it's just kind of a silly time-wasting exercise here not doing it. But, I mean, it it makes more – it always makes sense, and it makes even more sense this year to think that way, even if it comes from a guy who is absolutely trying to save his job. But so much of this discussion just comes down to power and control, and you can't tell us what to do, and we'll do it when we want to do it, not yeah, when you Scott. want to do it. Yeah, having I'm, Larry Scott be the guy uh, cheerleading it was not going to help the cause. Right, sure. yeah, right. Nobody wants to tell the SEC what to do, but there is a little bit of <laughs> irony building here, and it's got to, the, the scores have to build out to make it happen, but, but the scores could play out this way. You know, for years, the leagues that play eight games get in the 14 playoff, and the leagues that play nine, well, one of those leagues is a league that has to be left out, unless two of them are, right? And so now, all of a sudden, you're going to have the Pac-12 playing seven games, and you're going to have the SEC and the ACC playing ten. Now, maybe Clemson's so much better than the ACC, it just doesn't matter. That, I believe. But is there any chance that the SEC beats itself up? Maybe not as quickly as the Big 12. That's Congratulations, mm-hmm. Big 12. That's very impressive. But is the SEC going to do this? Is the SEC going to be arguing, oh, we had to play more conference games? Because if I hear that out of the pie hole of one SEC person, I'm not going to be alone in thinking it's hilarious. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, there's the irony potential here is, is extremely high for that exact reason. Because, I mean, there will be, I mean, if an SEC person says it, they'll at least ignoring history, they'll at least have a point because, um, like, Georgia would have to play Alabama twice, mm-hmm. not to mention Florida and everybody else. Like, the, the schedules among the top teams are going to be really hard, and a really, really good team might finish 9-2 and two or 8-3. and three. So they would have a point. It's just, as you said, the, the role reversal here is funny. There, there, somebody, a friend of mine on Twitter a few weeks ago, also pointed out that we could have a scenario where Notre Dame is arguing against BYU's uh, – uh, inclusion because Notre Dame had to play in a conference title game and they did. So that's another that's another high irony uh, scenario on the table. It's not quite as likely. Yeah, with that Notre Dame situation this year, I suppose they do do very well and only have one loss. Would we see two ACC teams in then? Well, I think that's kind of what we're looking at. Like, I mean, it, it's fun talking about BYU, but we do the second place team in the SEC, ACC, and and. Um, Big Ten are all going to have decent cases to make just in terms of the runner-ups probably going to be really good. Like Notre Dame's borderline top-five team right now. And so if they win out but only lose to Clemson, I, well, I guess since they play Clemson, they would probably have to split with Clemson uh, one of the two games with them to get in, which honestly at that point probably makes them worthy. 
But there are some high caliber. I, the bottom half of the ACC is still pretty sketchy as a whole. But I think between Notre Dame and Miami and North Carolina and maybe Virginia Tech, if they can ever get all their guys on the field, the, the potential for a very high caliber number two ACC team is certainly higher this year than it's been in recent years. And obviously Notre Dame being in the ACC certainly helps that. Bill Conley joining us, National College football writer for ESPN. I'm planning on watching Oklahoma, Texas, because I figure it's first team to 50, because uh, nobody's going to tackle yeah. anybody in that game. It's just going to be two-hand touch, and it's going to be outrageous. Uh, <laughs> given all the problems across the Big 12, could Oklahoma State go undefeated and win that league? Um, they could. They seem to be actually playing defense this year. Um, I mean, they haven't played great defenses or offenses yet, but... They are certainly dominating bad offenses, which will get you pretty far. Uh, and that's a good sign if the offense comes around. The offense has to come around, though. I mean, obviously, you know, not having Spencer Sanders in there, he's been at practice, so maybe he's healthy enough. Illingworth is fine, um, especially for a freshman. But I don't think he's a go undefeated in the Big 12 quarterback. You're going to need a little more upside there, even when you've got what they've got at, at the skilled position. So that's kind of where we're at. It's, funny, it's a funny place to be for OSU. If their offense improves, they could go undefeated. But I think that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Well, Bill, we appreciate a few minutes to talk a little BYU and a little uh, Pac-12. We'll keep reading you, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bill Conley, National College Football Writer for ESPN. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.